to Matthew 2 this, uh, this morning after Christmas. Um, but as we are looking to Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, I'll, I'll let you know we're also going to, uh, to flip over a few books, and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12. You may want to uh, place a little marker there to follow along with us. Um, at this point, we have made our way in, in Advent uh, through, um, through Luke's account of, of the birth of, of Jesus. We've, we've celebrated uh, the birth of the baby Jesus, but in our celebration, let us not forget that the baby is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this day we will hear and celebrate him as such. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord? Father, as we come to this passage, we ask that, that you would open it to our hearts, that we might see the message that you have for us, that our souls would be awakened. The reality that we have just heard sung that none is good enough. And so in your wisdom and by your grace you sent Jesus to be our redemption. I pray that as we look to him this morning you would, would strengthen our hearts. That we might live this life for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So have you seen the 
Netflix show, The Crown, <laughs> um, there are there's some good and redeeming parts to it. I recommend some of them. There are some not so good and redeeming, so I don't recommend it all. Take it with a grain of salt and figure it out for yourself. But anyway, uh, The Crown is it's the story of, of the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, as she, as she reigns over the United Kingdom. But maybe more broadly, uh, The Crown is the story of the royal family in all its glory and grandeur and in all of its messiness. Quite frankly, the show is more driven by their messiness. <laughs> but one of the storylines that, that gets repeated in this show is, the, is, is when the crown, uh, represented either by the queen or by one of the members of the royal family, will, will go out to be amongst the people. The crown will go out on a on a journey to, to one of the, the colonies to, to really see, see their people and, and be with them. Those journeys, uh, however, really, they look more like uh, a royal sightseeing tour. They, they go out, they, they receive welcomes from the local dignitaries. They, uh, they, they, they receive the praise and adoration of, of the crowds and and they just soak it all in. And as you watch, you, you're left with this distinct feeling that this family is, is leaving something to be desired. <laughs> it all seems very glamorous, but it seems like empty show without much substance. Maybe that is your estimation of kings and kingdoms these days. If that is the case, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a very different picture of a king, and a very different picture of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have a very different picture of the king coming to be with his people, a very different journey. As we've made our way through Luke, we've, I hope, already dispensed with sort of the, the, the glamour of Jesus' birth. We've seen where he was born. We've seen how he came uh, to earth. But the nativity scene that, that we tend to complete with this visit of the, of the wise men, at least as we have completed it in our own minds and imaginations and, and in the figurines that we put on, uh, on our countertops, it, it, it paints for us an, an image that, that, that looks like a sweet, quaint little scene. And that scene that we paint oftentimes masks the reality of what is really going on in the visit from these foreign dignitaries. What's happening in this scene as the, as the wise men come? Well, this morning I want us to pull back the veil. A bit. And as we pull back the veil from the image that we often create, what we're going to find is that this baby, this Christ child, was born on a battlefield. Let me set the, set the scene. Who are these wise men? Also known as, as Magi. Magi is a, 
is a descriptor that, that has a range of, of meaning. The Magi could refer to scholars of ancient texts. The Magi could refer to astrologers. Magi could refer to interpreters of dreams. Magi could, could refer to magicians. And these Magi appear to be men of, of some high standing, possessing some level of, of wealth as evidenced by the gifts they bring. Scripture tells us that they came from the east, but where? It's really a guess. The hymn that we oftentimes will sing ascribes them to coming from the Orient. We have a picture in our mind of where the Orient is, but it's unlikely that they are coming that far in the east. Most likely it's they're making a trek from Babylon. Three wise men, we, that's a guess too. Largely attributed to the number of gifts they bring. But what about the star? What is this star? And how does it move? And how does a star attribute a specific, uh, grant a location to a specific house in, in a little town of Bethlehem? Well, my best guess, and the guesses abound again, is that this star is, is actually an angel, the angel of the Lord. Like we heard last week in Luke. Two, the angel of the Lord lit up the night sky with the brilliance of the glory of God. And this angel is guiding these men to the house where the new king has been born. There's much that we don't know about this story, and that's okay. It's okay that there is much that we don't know, but this we do know. That, that these wise men... They came rejoicing. And they came to worship the new king, the new king of the Jews. Well, Herod, the old king, he didn't take too kindly to that message. Who is Herod? Well, Herod was Herod the first. Herod the great. He was an Idumean. The Jumeans were descendants of Esau. Esau was one of the sons of Isaac, the son who sold his birthright to his younger brother Jacob for a pot of stew. <laughs> Jacob, the younger brother, is the one who would later be renamed Israel. The Jumeans came from this other brother. Esau, somewhere along the way, uh, we believe, an ancestor of Herod may have converted to Judaism, but those days had long since passed. And somewhere around the year 37 B.C., Herod was, was appointed king of the Jews, but he was appointed king of the Jews by Caesar in Rome. He was serving under the Roman government. This Herod was, he was a master builder. He, he undertook a, a multitude of, of building projects throughout the kingdom, most notably the temple complex in Jerusalem. And that temple complex and his building of it had the effect of ingratiating him to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. But Herod 
in addition to being a master builder, was also a ruthless tyrant. He murdered his own wife, put to death three of his own sons. And this Herod did not welcome the news from the wise men that there was to be a new king of the Jews. He saw it as a threat to his earthly kingdom. You see the conflict, the building. You see the conflict in the works here. This Herod called together the religious leaders to gather intel. It was all a ruse. It was all an act of deceit. There's a contrast in this text. You see, these wise men, they were, they were Gentiles. They had, they had come from afar. The Gentiles, they were the outsiders. And yet, drawn by the Lord God, they, they come to find this new king and to worship him. And yet, all Jerusalem was also troubled. It wasn't just Herod. Did you hear that in the text? All Jerusalem, the insiders, the religious leaders, they were troubled by this news. The religious leaders that, that Herod gathered around him to find out where this king was to be born, they knew. They knew the scriptures. They knew that the king, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Yet they did not go with the wise men. The wise men went to worship. The religious leaders stayed in Jerusalem, presumably to continue plotting. They allowed themselves to be used by Herod. See, behind the veil of this Nativity scene that we have created behind that veil is a battle. It is a battle that is brewing that we will see continued throughout Matthew 2. It's one that still rages to this day. And so for a moment, I, I want to look to Revelation chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there and and read with me, because there in Revelation 12, we get a different angle on the same scene. Revelation 12 paints a different image, the same storyline. This book, Revelation, it is it's a bit of a mystery to many, if not most of us. And so many, if not most of us, tend to avoid it. Or... We use it wrongly, thinking that in this book we might find certain clues with which we can decipher the events that will mark the end of time. But we use Revelation wrongly when we think of it as a series of, of future events. It is better and, and more appropriate to see this book as an apocalyptic accounting marked by uh, colorful and and vibrant metaphors that all tell the, the story of, of the entire epic of time from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. In other words, Revelation tells the story of our lives. It tells the story of right now. That's given to us by God to serve as, 
is a source of, of encouragement. Because this book tells us what all of Scripture tells us. That our God, He's holy. That our God is sovereign. He is wise. And our God is victorious. This book is meant to give us encouragement. It's meant to give those who are in Christ encouragement. It's meant to give those who are not in Christ a warning. And in both the encouragement and the warning, it, sustain, it sustains us in the battlefield that is this world. And today, the day after Christmas, Revelation chapter 12 pulls back the veil. It tells us what is really going on in the birth of Jesus and in the encounter with Herod and in our lives today. I'm going to read it for you, paragraph by paragraph. Don't get lost in the minutiae. Don't get lost in the minutiae, but instead hear this storyline. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Did you hear? This is the story of Jesus' birth told from the heavenly perspective. This is the story of the offspring of the woman, the male child who has come to crush the head of the serpent. This is the one promised long ago in Genesis 3.15 who had come to redeem God's people. This is the one long promised who has come in flesh. Pick the story back up, verses 7 through 12. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have loved their, li 
for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. He won. He conquered. And the people of God have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. Through his blood shed for them. The people of God have conquered and by their testimony, which is their testimony of faith. The serpent, the ancient serpent, he is defeated. He and his minions have been thrown down, but he knows that his time is short. So he has come down in great wrath. Verses 7, 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He stood on the sand of the sea. The serpent makes war on the rest of the woman's offspring. That is you and I. Is the spiritual offspring of the woman, the spiritual offspring of God. Revelation 12 paints an image, a very different image of the scene that, that is unfolding before us in Matthew 2. It is a different perspective on the same action that we would see played out as Herod would, would kill all the babies in Bethlehem. There is a battle raging then and now. You and I, we still live in it as the world acts out the plans of the enemy by seeking to deceive, by seeking to kill, by seeking to blind us to the true identity of this child, to make us think of this little baby in a manger as a sweet, cuddly, little doll-like figure instead of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Be wise to the lingering battle that still rages. But be confident. There is more to this baby than meets the eye. He is indeed King of kings, Lord of lords, and he has come to win the victory. Go back to, to Matthew. And the scene there with the wise men. They were travelers from the east, but they, they listened. They listened to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. They heard that, that this child, this king, was to be born in, in Bethlehem. And so they followed the star again. I'm asserting that the star is an angel of the Lord. They followed to the place where he would lead the house. This child was 
was waiting with his mother and there. These Gentiles from far off, as they, as they gathered outside the door of his house, they, they realized in the moment that, that they had arrived at their long-awaited destination. And, and verse 10 tells us that, that they celebrated. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let us rejoice exceedingly with great joy in the presence of our king. And then, verse 11, they go in. They go in and these wise men humbled themselves and fell prostrate before this baby Jesus. They humbled themselves in worship and presented him gifts. Gifts that were ordained. Ordained to tell the tale of his identity and of his mission. They seem strange to our ears. Strange gifts for, for a little child. But when we understand who this child is, we see with new eyes. Gold. It's the gift for kings. Frankincense. is the incense that is used in, in temple worship. Myrrh. is a perfume used to anoint the dead for burial. These Gentiles, they came from the east to worship. Yet through their gifts, they proclaimed this child's kingship and pointed to his victory in death. Friends, fresh on the heels of Celebrating Jesus' birth, it is appropriate for us to be reminded of why it is that he came. This king, he didn't come for a sightseeing tour. He didn't come for fancy meals provided to him by the local dignitaries. He came to fight. And he came to win a battle. A battle for our hearts. Not not to gain our affections, but to, but to transform our hearts. He did so in victory. A victory that, that cost him his life as the, the lamb would be slain on the cross, shedding his blood so that by our testimony, our faith in him, you and I might join in the victory but if he's victorious if the enemy is defeated why must we continue to speak of battle because we know we know from our experience and from the word that this battle continues Jesus won the cross won the victory on the cross having lived a perfectly righteous life, having, having resisted the, the temptations that you and I succumb to on a daily basis, he then became a curse for us. He died in our place as a substitute, as a sacrificial offering, so that you and I might be reconciled to God the Father. He accomplished our salvation. He didn't make it possible if we were clever enough to figure all this out, to connect the dots. No, he did it. 
He did it on the cross once and for all, and he uttered out his cry, the cry that we read in John, it is finished for all time. That victory Faith alone. We can never earn it. It is simply given to us to be received. So why the battle? We read in Revelation, the enemy is defeated. He's angry. He's furious. His time is running out and he cannot accuse us, but he seeks to rob us of the peace and the joy that is to be ours in Christ. The enemy seeks to take our focus off of our glorious king and to put it on anything lesser. And he can do that. He can minimize our fruitfulness in Christ. He can cause misery to reign in this fallen world. It thwarts for the time the message of the kingdom, but again... The battle has been won. Our fight, our fight is a fight to live in light of that victory. It's to experience the peace and the joy that is ours in Christ and to bear fruit in keeping with that joy and peace. The storyline of Matthew, the storyline of Revelation, like the story of our own lives, is a story of contrast. It's a story of conflict. But praise be to God, it's also a story of victory. And a story of hope. Because it's the story of King Jesus. And it's the story of, of Gentiles worshiping. Because Gentiles, they were the outsiders. They were the furthest out. They had no place in Israel. They had no place among the Jewish people. The outsiders came to worship. And their place in worship completes the story. And it tells us that this Jesus, he came for outsiders like you and I. For the furthest out. His gospel is for Jew and Gentile alike. It's a promise for those who are, who are near and for those who are far. As best I know, most everyone in this room is ethnically Gentile. We are not of Jewish descent. We were those outsiders. We were those outsiders by birth. We were those outsiders by our embrace of of the sinful life. But Jesus came for us. More than a sweet little setting. A sweet little doll baby. This nativity scene that is completed in the arrival of the Magi. It is a picture of salvation. It is a picture of victory, of victory shared with Gentiles like us. So let us, who are the farthest out, rejoice exceedingly with great joy in the presence of king of kings Lord Jesus we we worship you 
you have written and accomplished a story that is just too audacious for us to create. Simply your grace. Pray that you would just plant that truth on our hearts this morning and give us the strength to live in light of it in the face of our adversary to know that that he is impotent that you are our king do this we pray for your glory and our good